0: to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And tonight, we have an interesting topic to discuss, because tonight we are going to be talking about ghost tours, especially local ghost tours, because there's one that has recently started, but... There's also one that has been around for a long time, both in the same city, and it's causing a bit of an uproar with folks who are uh, in the paranormal realm in the area, we'll say. And first of all, welcome into the program. I I hope that you have had a good couple of weeks. We were off last week because it was far too cold to come outside. (laughs) It, it was uh, record-setting cold, or at least what was it like in the last five years? It hasn't been that cold. I don't, I don't remember it being that cold five years ago. But it, if the meteorologists say so, when it gets down to, uh, I had outside my house minus twelve. Yeah, it was pretty freezing. I mean, even though by the time Saturday night rolled around, and it had warmed had wind. up a lot. It was still like single digits. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Let's let's just not go in. Because we people think, oh, it's 10 o'clock, oh, gee, this stupid thing is going off and setting stuff off when it shouldn't be. So people think, uh, oh, you guys go in at 10 o'clock, like, that shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But it's more than leaving it after midnight. Yeah. That's uh, part of the problem. So anyway, so we are here now to talk with you about the paranormal. And uh, thank you to everybody, too, that sent uh, all of the great uh, anniversary wishes for our 17th anniversary. And uh, we appreciate it. We uh, also got a few folks who said, who were concerned because we said, we just got to make it to 20. And they said, oh my God, are you going to just call it quits at, at at 20 years? Like, calm down. That's still three years, three years of Spooky away. South Coast. That's three years of you left to get sick of us. So it doesn't mean we're definitely calling it quits then. It doesn't mean we're even going to make it to then. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, it was just, you know, just kind of kidding around. So- I want to get into this story and we're going to have the phone lines open throughout the course of the night at 508-996-0500. We also now have the ability through the WBSM app. If you download that onto your device, your phone, your tablet, your iPad, whatever, you can send us in text messages in the studio while the show is going on. So if you just download the app, open it up, you'll see app chat in the middle of your screen. Press that, that's going to allow you to text us and we can either text you back or we can talk about it on the air. And so that's a good way to get your thoughts and comments into us if you can't call in. And But if you want to call in and you can't remember the number, sometimes I can't remember the number, or sometimes I accidentally give away my cell phone number on the air <laughs> instead of the studio number and then you can't figure out why I'm not answering. You can also call us directly through the app as well. So when you open up that app, you'll see one of the buttons in the middle will also say call us. So you can do that. There's also another button on there. You might have to scroll to get to it. But there's another button called Open Line. And what that is, is that allows you to send us uh, recorded audio. You can even send us recorded video. Whatever it is that you want to do, you can open that up and send that to us. And we can play it on the air. But just keep in mind that with all of these, you want to make sure that it is something that is okay for air. So you don't want to use language that we can't put out over the radio and things like that. But those are some ways to send us your thoughts if you can't call in. But of course, calling in is always the best way. The old fashioned way is always the best way. That's why we have talk radio. Yeah. But the um let me let me set everything up. With the story that came out and kind of sparked a lot of this debate. This came out Thursday. And it was written by RJ Heim, who for those who don't know, people who aren't from the Providence area, RJ Heim is a meteorologist. Correct. So, but he is also somebody who has a a great deal of passion for the paranormal. So he writes a lot of paranormal themed articles for channel 10 and he does a lot of paranormal themed reporting packages for channel 10. So uh, if you hear his name and you're like, wait a minute, isn't that the meteorologist? Yes, it is. But he's also, you know, kind of their go-to paranormal reporter. So he wrote this story about a new ghost tour in town that is uh, being put on by U.S. Ghost Adventures. Now, some folks might remember that name. That that is the organization uh, that is owned by Lance Zoll, who purchased the Lizzie Borden house uh, when it went up for sale a couple years ago. So, now it's coming... A couple months, it'll be the two-year anniversary, I believe, of him owning the house. So, the company, you know, the the reason why they had the money to go and buy the Lizzie Mm -hmm. Borden house is because the company's model is they have ghost tours in multiple cities around the country. And if you go to their website, you can see all the different places they have tours. And from my understanding, these are not, um, it's not like if you go to Salem, for example, or new Orleans or some of these cities where they have regular ghost tours, they'll have like an office Plymouth. I know Plymouth does it too, where they just will have a tour that goes out every night at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or nine o'clock, whatever time it is. And you can go and sign up and join it. Some nights they get there and there's four people. Some nights they get there and there's 40 people. Uh, Some nights they show up and there's nobody at all. And they say, all right, well, we're going to go home early. But from my understanding, these tours, and and we may have a, a representative of U.S. Ghost Adventures calling in tonight at some point. But from my understanding, these don't really work that way necessarily. People book online and then if people book, somebody goes and runs the tour. So it's not like it's an every night thing. You can go and see them standing there waiting for, for people to come. This is more of, you know, they go out and do the tours. It's a reserve. reserve Yeah. you, You RSVP on the website and then, you know, they know that they have to send a tour guide down to run the tours. So, which is fine. That's just the model. Well, it's, it's the way that, that it works for them. So this tour company has now started a tour in Providence where there has been a longstanding company called the Providence Ghost Tour that goes out and does these tours. And so RJ's story is just kind of featuring there's a new tour company. There was some outrage from folks in the Rhode Island paranormal and in the southeastern Massachusetts, you know, the New England paranormal community, who were upset about this national company coming in and, starting a tour in a city that has an established tour that is, has been done by locals for a number of years. And in some cases people are saying, yes, this is ridiculous. Why are they doing this? In other cases, people are saying, well, welcome to the ghost tour business because this happens in lots of other places too, like new Orleans, like Salem, oh, yeah. you know, there's a the, uh, tombstone, you know, there's, there's always going to be multiple tours going on at, at once and, you know, it's kind of funny because you walk around, you might wave to the other tours. They're going around. What, what's the name of that city, uh, that little town in Bermuda? I think it's St. George. They have a couple of different ghost tours. So you might be out on one and then yeah, you'll see the other ones and you just say, hey, how you doing as you're walking by? Uh, but I think part of the reason people were upset about this is because of the way that the company is portrayed in this story and the way that they're handling it. So. In this particular story, R.J. Heim asked the person who they were interviewing, the tour guy they were interviewing, because he he mentions to them that he ran into the competition while taking pictures for his company's website. NBC 10 asked the tour guide, whose name is Bill Clements, if, quote, they were like, oh, you're moving in on our territory. And he says, actually, it was a little bit like that. He laughed. Hey, you know what? That's why they put all the fast food restaurants on the same block. Okay, except some people got unnerved by that. Some people thought that that was a little bit flippant for, you know, the new kids on the block to come in and and have that attitude, which, you know, I can go either way on it. it. You're kind of just reading a little bit more too much into that because you're upset about them coming in. Except Courtney, the owner of the Providence Ghost Tour, the established one that's been there, uh, has come out and said that she talked to her tour guides and that never happened. So okay, that they had no interaction with this person. Now, all he says here is, you know, RJ Hine asks if they were like, oh, you're moving in on a territory. And he says, actually, it was a little bit like that. So it could have just been that he was taking some photos and they were giving him a look like, what are you doing? And also the other part of that too is, He wasn't on their tour, but he was taking photos around their tour. So if you're the tour guide, you might be thinking, hey, this guy's just out there, you know, copying our tour, which is something that they're aware of, something that they're careful about. Many of these tours will allow you to take photos while you're on the tour, Mm -hmm. but they will tell you you can't record audio, you can't record video," video, because they're worried about their tours being stolen. And it happens. It happens a lot in this business because the stories, you know, there's only so many stories, to, to, to share around, and obviously you're going to have the big stories, and every tour, and we're going to talk to some people that run tours that are going to call in tonight, but every tour probably has to have, you know, the greatest hits, and they have to, you know, if, 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 a, if a major band breaks up, and all of the members of that band go out and do solo performances, they still expect those solo performers to play those songs. Yeah. You know, like Joe Walsh doesn't sing on Hotel California, but in his shows, he will play Hotel California, his solo shows, uh, because people just want to hear those songs and hear him play guitar in it. And and so I think it's kind of the same thing, that when you have a a city that has these ghost tours, uh, has these ghost stories that come out of it, no matter what the tour is, they want to hear those stories on there. And then they can kind of differentiate that with some of their own stories and their own experiences. Mm. So again, we'll talk to some ghost tour operators and see if that's really how it plays out, because... My understanding is far too often it is not like that. It is just a direct copy of some of these other tours. And if you remember way back years ago, we talked to there were three different tours running in Plymouth at the time. Yes. And they didn't get along. And we had them all come in here, and we kind of Barfuree. talked to yeah, mm-hmm. and we talked to them all yeah. about like the way that they approach it. And there had been some, uh, if I remember correctly, there had been some thought that there had been poaching of stories from it. And then when you start talking to them about where did you find your stories, you realize, well, they found it from the same place that you found it back when you started doing your tour. So there is some of that that comes into play. Um, So I also wonder if maybe that was part of it, that like they just see this guy taking pictures while they are out on their tour and like, Hey, what are you doing? So unless he identified himself and said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And then there was something, but again, we don't really know beyond what that exchange was. I had uh, commented on somebody's post about this, that, you know, I don't blame RJ Heim for this because he's not a journalist. But this story went through an editor, I would assume, who read it and then posted it on the website. That editor should have been like, "You should reach out to that Providence ghost tours company and ask them if this actually happened." Because this this seems like it's a little bit um, well, you know, incendiary.
1: That, wouldn't that be libel?
0: No, not city? really. Because he doesn't but, name anybody in particular. Uh, and He doesn't even name the company who did it. And, and he doesn't say that there was an exact, you know, he wasn't like, hey, they came up to me and said, get the F out of here. He just said, yeah, like, you know, he was responding to the question that the re- that the reporter asked and was basically like, yeah, kind of like that. So I don't think there was any kind of direct accusation. But I can say that the Providence Goes Tours company is taking this very personally and very seriously that they wouldn't, their, their staff wouldn't have that reaction.
1: Hmm.
0: So, you know, that's that's part of this as well. Another part of it though is some of the information has come into question.
1: What do you mean some of it has come?
0: F- First of all, so again, I'm not trying to impugn necessarily this tour guide that was interviewed this Bill Clements because I don't know how much of it is what he was saying and how much of it is how R.J. Heim wrote it up. Okay. But here is a, here's a, here's a quote that comes. So he, they share an anecdote at the beginning of the story and R.J. writes, that's just one of the many anecdotes on earth in the U.S. Ghost Adventures Providence experience. One of 12 new locations added to their roster of 50. That's a red flag for a lot of people. From California, Wisconsin, Florida, points in between, and now Rhode Island, catering to curious tourists. In my research, I found a bunch of folks doing this sort of thing, said U.S. Ghost Adventures Providence tour guide Bill Clements. What, what do you mean by that quote? In my research, I found a bunch of folks doing this sort of thing. So in your research, you found a bunch of people doing ghost tours? Like, it, it's pretty it, common knowledge. Yeah. So I don't, I don't get what that was necessarily, but okay. Um, and then- some of the stories uh, that they, some of the information that they list on their website is a little bit questionable in terms of the history of Providence. Well, so,
1: the history of Providence is easily found in books.
0: Well, one of the lines that, that, that kind of caught my attention is dive into this disturbingly sinister, sinister side of bleh, 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 bleh. yeah. That. Dive into this disturbingly sinister side of Providence's history and find out why former residents such as Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, yeah. and H. Uh, P. Lovecraft Kraft found inspiration for their grizzly tales in the city's tormented streets. Um. Um. Well, two out of three, and really one and a half out of three. Yeah. So Edgar Allan Poe didn't live in the city. He was courting somebody toward the end of his life. Uh, and he would visit her at the Anathium. And so, I think I'm saying that right, right? Yeah. So, and he would visit her there, but he wasn't living in Providence. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, we know, did. Yeah. Uh, but Bram Stoker, as far as I can tell, no. never visited Providence. So he he didn't, not only did he not live there, he never went there. Right. He's associated with Rhode Island, not Providence, because in his, in yeah. his papers after, yeah. you know, they, they found uh, that he had a... Uh, newspaper article. Yeah. I don't even think it was a Province Journal. I think it was a, uh, just because the story made national headlines. I think it was a local, you know, English paper, whether it be, you know, whatever it might've been out of London at the time, had the article about the Mercy Brown case. Right. And so that was tucked into his writings and all that. And I actually talked with uh, Dacre Stoker, who is a descendant of Bram Stoker. And uh, well, you know, part of the same family. and And he talked with me about that. So, This was just something that Stoker used as research in trying to find out more modern vampire type stories. So it was not, you know, that he lived in Providence. So I don't know, like it, it, I don't know that I would necessarily want to sign up for a tour if the information on the tour website is already incorrect. You know, some people got a little bit picky about it in some of the comments that I saw, you know, they, they talk about, um, the Rhode Island School of Art and Design, and it's just the Rhode Island School of Design. So some people are like, "Risty." Yeah, some but, people are like, oh, they had an extra word." They're like, I oh, don't really worry about that. Like that, that can that can just happen. Like somebody might be aware of like the Savannah School of Art and Design, and so then they're like the yeah. School. So they just typed it, you know, because it mixed up in their head. But you know, there's some some of the things here are a little questionable. So I don't know. We can take your phone calls at 508-996-0500. And I know that there are a lot of folks in Rhode Island who are upset about this and who want to sound off on this. And I do think it's important to, you know, get all the sides of it. You, we talk about this all the time here on this show that you can't own the stories. You can't own the legends. And I had to be, I had to go through some uncomfortableness with that myself because, you know, I wrote about, uh, in my book, I wrote about my f- second book, Haunted Objects, I wrote about Jill and her doll, Claire. Yep. Now, Jill was on the show with us. Claire the doll was on the show with us. Claire the doll Claire lived with li- me.
1: I was going to say Claire lived with you.
0: So I took Jill's story as she sent it to me. And I, you know, obviously I, I, no offense to Jill, but I jazzed it up the writing and you know put it in into more of the style that I would write for the book, as opposed to her experience, which is basically like journalism. Yeah. So I basically was quoting her as opposed to just putting her whole first-hand account. Um, and so someone sent me a link to a YouTube video where there's a, an account where a woman reads spooky stories. In like her own style, but she reads them in the first person as if they're happening to her, which I thought was a bit disingenuous, even though she credits where she finds them from. I just find it to be a little odd.
1: Well, there's a popular YouTuber guy on Ghost Stories, um, Mr. Ballin. Who does, you know, there's,
0: there's a lot of them now. It's, it's, it's become because people tune into them and they say
1: specifically, I'm reading this. And and, this this person did that. The person
0: gave credit to it, but it's just, you know, when you get lost in a 25, 35 minute presentation and that was just the beginning, you know, it kind of can get confusing, but I was like, this is my book almost word for word. Like this person plagiarized my book. And then I found out it's because Jill took the story, put it on Reddit. Uh, um, and so it was, you know, that this person found it on Reddit and was making that whole thing. So I had to kind of get into the mindset then that that's going to happen, that these stories are going to take on a life of their own. So I might, I might have an experience and I've written about my own personal experiences plenty of times because I'll write, up, write about them for WBSM.com or whatever. And the stories go out there and then those stories are going to make it on other places, as people reporting this as something that happened in those locations, and then next thing you know, somebody's going to go out and make a TikTok video saying, well, "One person said that when they went into this place, this happened to them," and I'm that person, yeah. And it's my f- own doing by putting those stories out there into the public sphere because I want people to know about them. But then, you know, I, I've, I, and I'm not saying this was any ego. I'm just saying like it, it happens to anybody that has an experience that gets covered. Yeah, like the people who go on all these TV shows. Well, look at my uh, thing
1: from Waverly, you know, the thing that we got in uh, Lizzie Borden's. I've had some of my UFO things. I've, hey, did you see this story? It's like, well, yeah, that is my story. Well, it made it here. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I was like, okay, just because you're right. Once you put it out there, the universe or the. And that's and, why you're telling and, it.
0: Yeah, for that purpose. But there is a little bit of that personal feeling that you know you 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 got to get used to kind of cutting the cord to it. And 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 maybe it's worse for me because as somebody who is a writer, you know, I'm very conscious of when I got when I get ripped. I got ripped off the other day very egregiously. Like it just happens all the time. And so I get very you know, my, my haunches get up about it. And I think that when it comes to some of these experiences, you're just going to kind of let them go. And then you have to understand that those are going to get picked up by other people that are going to be talking about that. Yep. So, it you know, it, it still makes me laugh when I go to a place and somebody says something uh, that what goes on there. And then I, you know, I'm like, yeah, I know that was that was me. And then everybody's like, oh, well, why don't you tell the story? I'm like, no, no, no yeah. I want to hear how <laughs> yeah, you tell, you tell it, it. it. You know? Yeah. So. Anyway, we've got some phone calls coming in. If you want to call in and chime in, 508-996-0500. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello, you're on... Oh, let me. there we go. Hello, you're on the air.
2: Hello, guys. Am I on? You are. All right. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? Uh, fifth time, long time here tonight. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Ken. How are you? Um... I thought maybe I would bat lead off tonight because I had a lot to say about this. But, you know, in some total, I mean, the story itself that appeared on JAR10.com, uh, it seemed to be designed to stir a pot a little bit. And we understand that interviews can sometimes go sideways and you're misquoted. Um, but I think it's safe to assume that they were contacted by this group as a a promotion of, of what they're doing. And I wanna preface what I'm gonna say by saying I think we all understand free enterprise, we all understand capitalism, we all understand competition. Because competition can go one of two ways. It can make you better or it can prove disastrous. So the tenor and tone of competition, again, there's no problem with free enterprise, but. When you look at this, the ultimate goal of free enterprise sometimes is ultimately to be the last person standing. In other words, I want your customers, too. Um, And if you go away, I have it all. So the problem with these tours sometimes and... I have a lot of responses to my post from people really all over the country. I was surprised. This is obviously something that um, and I hope you get a lot of tour guys calling because they can speak to this a lot better than I can, but oftentimes there are a lot of shortcuts taken. And in the tour game, regardless if it's history, ghosts, true crime, bird watching, whatever it is, you know, facts and research do matter. And the people like Those Courtney, who runs Providence Ghost Tour and others I know, I mean, they're really invested, and they're historians or scholars. And, you know, when you start a small business, you take on insurance, licensing, payrolls, taxes, crowd control, safety. All of those things fall under that umbrella of your responsibility. And a lot of times, you know, and let's forget about the ghost business. Let's talk about anything, mom-and-pop coffee shops, donut shops, bakery, anything. Um, if you have even moderate success, you know, soon a bigger company wants in. So you got to ask yourself, ultimately, are they as proficient? And in terms of these people, that question remained to be answered because, you know, the shuttered house had nothing to do with werewolves. And you guys covered it um, already excellently, making the point, you know, Poe is not from Providence. So those are already kind of red flags. But the point I was trying to make is, you know, don't fall for the sizzle, false stories, sensationalism, salacious details. And I would rather put my support behind people who are invested emotionally as well as financially. And, you know, that's that's just the way I feel about things like this. There's yeah. room for everybody. But, you know, um, when you know people personally, how invested they are, And all of this and the work that they've done, Um, you know, I kind of like to stick with those folks because I know what it's like to build it from the ground up.
0: And that's the thing is, you know, anybody can go in like I could go to Salem right now and write a ghost tour, like just based on stories that I've heard for years about it. But when it comes to something like a Providence ghost tour, a lot of those stories were unearthed by the original people that did it. They were the ones that got those that dug those stories out of the archives and put it on the map. It was things that were not well known.
2: Right. And, you know, I'm not trying to project this on this particular company, but I think we all know how it is that a lot of times what they will do is uh, subcontract tour guides from the local community. So cut down on the travel and expenses. And a lot of times they're reading off a script Mm -hmm. that's written by somebody with little to no knowledge. If you're lucky, you get to contribute to it you know, if you have any interest in it at all. But it's sort of like almost having a summer job in some regard. You know, you memorize your script, and usually that script emphasizes, as I said, those salacious details, the horror, the idea that fear sells, and you're not really getting the background and a real feel for the area as someone who is a local, you know, who has skin skin in the game. And somehow or another, they were drawn to this, maybe because of love of history and interest in the paranormal. So they start these little businesses. And I get an education uh, over the last couple of days from people like really all over the country telling me horror stories about the same things that happened from big cities to small towns where they were essentially put out of business um, By companies who cut prices and just generally take those shortcuts I alluded to before but um, you know I guess it's uh, you know let the buyer beware but I think you have to be mindful of um, exactly what it is you're putting your money behind and whether you're getting information if you just want to be spooked and scared okay I, I, I guess if that's your thing then that's fine but those things tend to draw a different type of crowd. you know people who aren't really interested, but people out maybe you know partying a little bit and you know they they want the thrills and chills and um, you know it's just a different dynamic there sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the call Ken and uh, and certainly uh, thank you for you know t- having leading this discussion and uh, and, and getting so many uh, great comments from folks all around chiming in on this.
2: Yeah, I w- and I hope that uh, if they're listening, that uh, you know, I hope everybody does weigh in from both sides of this argument, um, because maybe there can be something a little more conciliatory and understanding about it. So, uh, thanks for taking my call, guys.
0: All right, have a great night. We'll I'll see you next week. You bet. All right, uh, the uh, we'll be at the the Conjuring House next week. So, one thing I do want to address uh, to to one of Ken's comments before we go to the next call is uh, the idea that, you know, did they reach out and did they contact Channel 10 for the story or did Channel 10 contact them? I'm not sure either way. Knowing RJ Heim and his interest in these topics, I'm sure he's always on the lookout for things that he can cover uh, in that regard. Maybe he went and took the tour or, you know, that kind of, you know, whatever it might have been that kind of set up his idea to do that. Uh, I know that if there was an email or any kind of press release that went out, we didn't get it here. Because that would have been you know obviously would have been brought to my attention, whether it came into, so basically I get all the emails that come to our news department. I get all the emails that come to our digital side of things. and even if I didn't get it, everybody in the building yeah. knows that that's kind of my thing. <laughs> yeah. so they would they would send it to me. Uh, in fact, one of my one of my coworkers sent me, the link to the WJAR story when it went up and said, you know, I I saw this and thought of you. So I don't think that there was anything there. Oh, we had a caller that dropped off. If you want to call back 508-996-0500. I'm sorry. I was just trying to address that, Um, but they were patiently on hold for a little while. Hopefully they'll call back in, but the idea of it being, you know, that they reached out maybe, but it could have gone the other way. Um, It's certainly, if it was a paid Thing, yeah. If it was pay for play, then Channel Ten would have noted that. You know, they would have said like this: this article is a paid advertisement or something like that. So, I do think that it was more of a matter of, yeah. No matter what it is, there was that decision to to want to cover that Uh, because two things. One, I mean, if you're looking at it from a news perspective, it it's newsworthy. If you already have, you know. Somebody who's not tied into the world of the paranormal, if you were to tell them, hey, we have a ghost tour company that's been around for a long time and another one is opening up, you'd say, wow, that's really, really cool that like Providence is important enough that there's two ghost tours now. Uh, The other part of it, too, is anybody who is an editor for these sites knows that any kind of paranormal content does big numbers. Yes. So you want to get eyeballs on your product. You want to put out a story like that that, you know, people are going to click on. Uh, So I think that that's part of it, too, is, you know, you would say to your writers and I say to my writers here. Like, hey, every time I write something about the paranormal, it does really well. So when you're out there looking for stories, don't be afraid to look into that for some stories to cover because I can't write every single one of them. And I don't really want to write every single one of them. You know, sometimes I don't want to write it because. Well, it's
1: good to have a different viewpoint. Somebody writing it may write it different than you, seeing it from a different angle.
0: And I've written it a hundred times already, you know, like, so if there's a UFO story that happens. And we get a lot of them. You know, we get a lot of people telling us that there were UFOs. Especially the past couple of days. And, and if, if it's something that I think is worth or different or, uh, you know, more than just a light in the sky, I'll write it. But if it's something that's just kind of generic, I'll let somebody else write it. Because to them, they're not jaded by it like I am. Or I shouldn't say jaded, but they don't find a light in the sky to be mundane. Like yeah. we we're like, okay, so it was a light. What else happened? You know, yeah. <laughs> they, they, just the light to them is enough. So I, I like to have that perspective. Um, somebody brought up a point to me earlier that I think is worth a discussion to some degree too, is we look at the numbers, you know, we get those Gallup polls every couple of years that say that interest in the paranormal has increased or what I like to say is people admitting that they have an interest in the paranormal has (laughs) increased because people have had the interest. They just have been reluctant to tell a pollster that they do. Yeah. So I think that when you look at the way those numbers have gone up in recent years, uh, you look at there being people who have an actual belief. They're not just entertained by it. They actually believe that there is something to it. And you don't have to believe that that something to it is definitely dead people from the other side Aliens from outer space, mysterious creatures that actually exist. You don't have to believe that it's any of that to still think that the experiences that people have are real. And so this question, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, the the, the answer might have been a little bit different. But the question was, do you think people care when they go on a ghost tour about whether or not the stories are true?
1: Most probably not.
0: I think now they might. I think now, you know, they're doing people who are going on ghost tours a lot of the times are doing it because they want those true stories. They don't just want something creepy that's going to freak them out and scare them. Um, there's still I'm sure a great amount of people that are like that, but I think I think people are savvy enough with this now that they want the true ghost stories. And you know, I know folks who go on these tours and I'm, I'm going to use the term, you know, regular folks, normal folks, non paranormal folks <laughs> who go on these tours and even they get annoyed sometimes with some tour companies who go a little bit over the top. Like, so the first time, let me tell you, the first time I took, because I've taken the Bermuda ghost tour twice now. And the first time that I went, we st- were standing outside, you meet at a bookstore. That's where their office is. You meet at a bookstore. And the villi- the, the St. George is like a small village. You can walk around the whole place. Uh, it's really cool. I love it out there. But you can... You can do the whole big loop in just like an hour or two and get all the stories and it's really good. So you meet outside in this spot, and then the person comes out and she's in like a top hat and she's got the makeup on and you know, she's in the tattered clothes, yeah. and I'm like, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. And we start off on the tour, and it's like she's portraying one of the ghosts and and I'm just, like, kind of rolling my eyes at first, being like, oh, like I just wanted somebody to tell me the stories. I didn't want to go through this. Like, in New Orleans, when we did it, it was they came and they told you the stories. There was no theatrics involved with it. Uh, and just in their storytelling style. And then, so I was like, this is going to be so cheesy. And by the time we got to the second stop, I didn't feel that way anymore. Like, it worked. And, it you know, what, what seemed a little bit weird at first um, actually was very engaging as we went along. And then the second time we took it, it's funny because that... Same, uh, that same person? Same game? person, yep. That cruise that we took that time, that was something that, that Stephanie and Porter and I were all doing. So this, you know, I had already been there. They hadn't been there. And I told them about the tour and I said, we want to do this, but just to make you aware, it's going to seem cheesy at first, but hold on, give it a, give it a moment. And you know how Stephanie is like the tour started yeah. and she's kind of looking at me with, I'm like, no, 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 don't worry about it. It, it works. And it does. And the tour guide who runs that tours is, a, who runs those tours are, is amazing. And, but you, you know, you can kind of see where some people would get turned off by that format. I think that if you have multiple tours in an area and one is kind of giving you the straight history, one is giving you kind of the performance. If you look at the way Jeff Campbell runs the Plymouth Night Tours, uh, he does it differently. He tells you the stories, but then he also has you investigate along the, the course of the tour so that, you know, you have a chance to maybe have your own experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think having different approaches and then when you go to a city, you say, well, I think I'm going to take this tour because I'm interested in that aspect of it. And then when I come back next time, I'll take the other tour. And then even if you're getting the same locations on the tour, you're getting different versions of that story. Unfortunately, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is I went to the city. I took a tour after I'd taken a tour the last time. It was a different company, but it was the exact same tour. And I think it's because, you know, they might change up the order of where they go, but it's still the same stories. And it's told the same way, like they're reading from the same script. And I think that's where the the concern comes from a lot of people because, well, where did you get that original script? Did it come from you just happened to find the same website that they found the same story at?
1: Same books or what have you. Or
0: did you go on their tour and record everything that they did? That's where people get concerned about it. I can tell you that when I was doing the stage show with Jeff and Andy and Frank and uh, Carl and we were telling these stories, you know, I'm looking for the stories online that are different, that I haven't told before that I don't know. And, you know, so like a story, the story of Liza Tower Hill, the um, witch in, in uh, Barnstable. I found that from a story from Peter Muse, uh, who does a great job of chronicling all the legends of New England. So as I'm writing that story, I'm very aware in the way I'm going to present it. I'm very of the, uh, very aware of the way Peter wrote his version of the story. Um, obviously, we're going to have the same information because we're getting the facts from the same places. But I was trying not to seem like I was just copying Peter. And Peter does a great job of just presenting you the story. You know, there's, there's no theatrics in what he does. He's very matter of fact about it. And that's one of the things that I love about him. So I can try to put in a little bit of flair and have a little bit of fun with it. So, you know, where he says, you know, Dr. Bourne came home, was coming back after a night of drinking. You know, I can say, you know, here's a drunken Dr. Bourne riding his horse and stumbling and saying, and I can add in a little bit of that stuff to make it different. And I think that some of these tours that can work when I'm going and taking one of these tours, I probably wouldn't want to go on the tour that's run by a bunch of actors. I'd probably want to go on the tours that's run by a bunch of historians, and, and that's just me and the way that I prefer, prefer to obtain the information. So we are going to take a break in a few moments for the news. Uh, when we come back on the other side, you can hit us up 508-996-0500 if you want to call in. You can also send us an app chat message on the WBSM app. You can talk about it on Twitter using the hashtag Live. And uh, you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, as well as all those other things I mentioned in the WBSM app. In addition to the app chat, you can also send us a voicemail, a a recorded message, a video, audio recording, whatever you want to send in. It all works. And uh, we can get it all here in the studio. And I think we'll start to have some people call in because, you know, even though here it's cold, in other parts of the country, they're out running ghost tours. (laughs) Yeah. So they'll call us maybe after some of their tours are over. Um, But in seeing the comments that I saw from folks over the last couple of days, I do think that this particular company irks people in the way that they do business. And that's why I'm hoping somebody from U.S. Ghost Adventures does call in. Uh, We were told that somebody may join us. Um, I was setting that up with, with the company over the last day or two, and so I'm hoping that that means somebody will be able to join us at some point, because I, I'd like to get some inside perspective on the way that they run things. Uh, how do they come up with their tours? Because it's, you know, it, they could be being characterized in one way, and it could be a completely different way in the way they, they put it all together. Another factor of it is, you know, as Ken said, local people can make a difference, and it seems like this company contracts local people. So this isn't a company, even though they're nationwide, you know, they're not bringing in tour guides from Arizona to come and run a Providence ghost tour.
1: They're local sourcing
0: they're, they're, they're And I saw, <laughs> I, I saw that they were trying to put together a Newport tour. There was a job listing for us ghost adventures, um, looking to put together a Newport tour and they wanted to hire somebody for, I believe it was $250 a month. Which, personally, if you offer me that job, I'm not taking it. Yeah, Like, that's the amount of work you're going to put into it. That's just not enough money. Plus, how many months is it going to take you to put together a ghost tour? Like, theoretically, it should take you... And how many
1: many nights are you going to be doing it for 250?
0: No, no. This was just to write the tour. This wasn't to host the tour. This is just to come up with the tour. Okay. So then they would find people that you're you're writing the script that the tour guides will use. Got it. And I can tell you the gentleman, Tom, who ran one of the, the Colonial Lantern tours in Plymouth, he has since passed away. But before he passed away, he and I were talking about he wanted me to create a new Bedford tour. And I try to tell them there wasn't, there's not really enough stops on the tour. Uh, if you want to walk around the downtown area, like, and at this time, you know, it, it wasn't the same as it is now. Yeah. Now there's businesses in Zelos Place, and we actually have the opportunity to get into there and get stories. At that time, it was a lot of closed businesses. There wasn't a lot of information about what was going on down there. So I was like, I can take them to Siemens Bethel, and that's pretty much it downtown. In terms of like where we can have verifiable stories.
1: Okay. I was going to say there's a couple other places along there. But, but a lot yeah. of that information yeah.
0: came out after the, yeah. the the time that we were having these conversations. So, and he talked to me about wanting to pay me, you know, whatever the flat rate was. Plus I would get a percentage of every tour that anybody ever took. Like basically royalties on the tour. And I had already written the book. Like mm-hmm. I had the book with all the stories. And I said, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not doing that. Because it just didn't seem like it was enough money for me. So I'm surprised that somebody would take that $250 a month job. And also, you know, from a, from a employer perspective, I would expect that a month should be enough time for you to, to complete a script for a tour. Um, But anyway, we can, we can talk more about that. Hopefully, somebody will join us. Uh, of course, we always want you to join us as well. The number is 508-996-0500. We're going to be taking a break here for the news. When we come back on the other side, we will chat more about this. Uh, next week, as I mentioned, I will be at the Conjuring House with Ken DaCosta. He is putting on an event there uh, that is, I, f- I think it was sold out. There might be one spot left, but we were... We were there a couple of times already. I've been there a couple of times already. And I love it over there. And I'm looking forward to being able to spend the whole night there. And I'm not going to sleep. For anybody out there that's going to this event, I'm not going to put you through that. I'm not going to snore all night and keep you awake. So my plan is to stay awake for the whole night. So I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in next week or if we'll even have a show. But uh, if anything happens, I will certainly let you know about it. And I'll probably go live a couple times as well. All right, that'll do it for the first hour. We'll be back after the news with more Spooky South Coast. Ghost. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and we are talking tonight about ghost tours and about if a city can handle multiple ghost tours, and uh, we're getting your thoughts on it too at 508-996-0500. You can also send us app chat messages via the WBSM app, and uh, before we go back to the phones, I just want to read an app chat message that came in very quickly. This comes from Carol Ann in sonnet. She says, just my two cents. I think there are definitely different audiences to be catered to and enough spookiness to go around. The ghost tours could do even more collaboration events if they were organized enough. Get creative so everyone makes more money and gets more exposure. But it's true, some people want to look for ghosts, some people really enjoy the history and the stories. I fall into the latter, and because of that, I absolutely do care if the stories are true. Now, when I say that, I mean historically true versus complete fiction, not to be confused with the legends that get repeated so much that they become part of the history. Ultimately, I don't see the ghost tour market as cutthroat. As with anything similar, if you put on a good entertaining event, people will show up with their wallets. And those are some some very good points. One thing I will say, though, some of these tour companies that open up aren't about... they, They don't care so much about the paranormal. Yeah. They just look at it as it's a market that they can make easy money in because it's really simple to launch a ghost tour. You could... You could write one in a week and have your first customers eight days later. You know, so it's it's not a difficult proposition. If you can find somebody that can talk and walk at the same time, then you've got your one employee that you need to get started and uh, and you can get in there. And that's, wh- that's why I think people look at the U.S. Ghost Adventures company with a bit of a stink eye sometimes because they have so many tours all across the country. They say, well, are they in it for the paranormal or are they in it for... The money, especially where the owner and founder of the company, Lance Zoll, said in interviews that he didn't believe in the paranormal and that, you know, that wasn't something that that was important to him. And then when I met him and I talked to him, he told me that he had experiences his whole life. So I don't know, you know, if he was just misquoted in those stories and that's where people kind of get that perception that uh, he's just in it for the money. But he he did tell me that he's had experiences his whole life, so... Um, anyway, let's go to the phones 508-996-0500 Good evening, you are on Spooky South Coast Hi, how are you? Hello, is this is this Courtney?
3: This is Courtney Not the Courtney from Providence Ghost Tour uh, Courtney from another ghost tour right. in New England
0: <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you tell everybody If you, if you don't mind About your tour and, 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 and where you run it
3: Sure, so I actually started my tours A decade ago um, Out of Mystic, Connecticut and I've been really appreciating the conversation that you guys have been having about the Ghost Tours, especially, you know, Ken brought this up when he called in, starting from the ground up and the business aspect of it with everything that's being managed in kind of a mom and pop shop fashion. And I was kind of like cheering at my ceiling when I heard that. I was like, yes, all those things. Yes, um, those are really important. But I started my company because I you just yes, were talking about this and so passionate about the paranormal experiences i've had and kind of wanting answers on those but also being raised by a history major i was fascinated with that as well so it organically fell into my lap to start something like this and honestly um the text you were just reading i started the ghost tour after i met a woman in vermont who ran ghost tours and had lunch and picked her brain and there was that collaboration together on how did she get to do it and could i do the same and so I always tell people that story about that connection. However, you know, there is something to be said, and I think what's curious, and I don't know the answer to this, is how does one, you can't own a legend, you can't own history, but your work, when you're going out there and creating a tour, for me, I can't do it in a month. It takes me months to uncover all of this research and archives and interview people and get a sense in the community of the people there and what they want from the ghost tour to give to the community in a historic way. So, to get that reputation takes time. I've ridden in cars with like, you know, wild old people taking me to the woods around the area, telling me that a ghost lives there, just like the craziest things to make the tour come together and get the history. And a lot of the ghost tour guides also write books. So, what is the value in that groundwork up? you know and maybe the people making that information more public like you mentioned how does that sort of affect when other tours are coming in and maybe using the person that brought those stories to light, if that makes sense. That's right. a question that's hard to define, you know?
0: And 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 what you're talking about is a difference between people who, you know, fully invest themselves into creating this, uh, creating the tour that they want to give versus people who just want to, you know, line some people up and collect $20 a head for, for it.
3: Right, right. And there's both. And, you know, I I work in a few towns, you know, I so that's why I'm not opposed to competition and expansion and and ways of doing that there's great ways where again you can collaborate you can create different tour routes everyone shares different versions of the story i teach all my own guides tell the story in your own voice you know not in my voice i'll give you the facts but you make it yours you know and there's a way to do that um but you know how to do that in a healthy manner is kind of you know one of the one of the questions so that you're not stepping on each other's toes and maybe someone who comes into town can get something different from each tour that they go on
0: so what do you find as being the the challenges when you are operating somewhere where there are multiple tours and as you said you know their individual personalities make a difference but how does how do you, do you just kind of do what you do and, and figure that'll market it market it for itself, or do you try to market yourself as being the alternative to the other tour?
3: And so when I do it, I've been you know I have towns that I operate where I'm the only one, and I've had some where I've sort of dabbled and tried out you know, opportunities that have opened up for me in places where I'm not the only one. And at first, it can be a little bit cutthroat. people come around. Are you licensed? Who are you? What are you doing? Um, But ultimately, the community still kind of have a band together of tour guides. And you kind of share with each other. What is your goal to get out of this? Are you a paranormal enthusiast? Are you more of the theater you're putting on a show? What Stories are you featuring? You know, like Salem's a great example. There's a gazillion tours mm. there, and you can go on ones that are monster and vampire themes, theater ones, and then you can go on just very historic ones. Um, and I, I give tours. I'm licensed in Salem too. I kind of saw a market for hey, there's not a lot of Mariner history being given in Salem. Let me try that out. And so I tried to create something different being respectful of stepping on other people's toes and at the same time creating my own content, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and and I think that that's the the, the best way to handle it. And that shows that you can have... You know, multiple tours without it being, I, I mean, it, it was a problem in Plymouth, uh, but it, it became not a problem. And I know it can still be a problem sometimes in, in in Salem, especially with, you know, timing everything out so you're not stepping on each other as you're going around. But they also have found a way to balance it and make it work. New Orleans has found a way to balance it and make it work. But it has to be that all the people that are involved in those companies are looking at it as, you know, we all just have our share. If you have somebody that comes in and they want to be the person that says, I'm going to push everybody else out of business or I'm going to be number one and the rest of you can eat my dust, you know, it's right. it's not going to work out.
3: Right. And, and and it's easy for me to speak on Salem, but my town, the town I started in, you know, in, in Connecticut, like there, there wasn't that. So I got to develop it from the ground up. And I think if I felt, you know, and little other chore companies have come about as well, and i immediately notice them and i try to find out where do those stories come from are those my stories i start to see posts making circles of something i uncovered that no one had read for you know over a hundred years and now it's you know trending on social media because a new tour guide came into town and mentioned it and there's definitely an icky feeling with that because you're like okay i get it that information happened you're free to share it but you kind of feel like this ownness with it because you found it right and uncovered it and made it to that position that it could be you know public information again so it's a weird it's a weird protective feeling about you know your creative content as much as it is somewhat publicly available
1: it's basically your child that you
3: Yeah. you yeah yeah i tell people that all the time i'm like you know my tours are my babies you know um because i just feel like i create and devote so much to them and Nurturing them, but also on your topic of what do people want from a tour, the truth or not. um, My experience has been they they absolutely want the true history. They are more scared by, and I tell people history is more haunting than, um, you know, the paranormal sometimes. But they're more scared by what the reality of history was than they are by anything I could possibly try to make up.
0: Well, I want to ask you one thing before we let you go, uh, related to Mystic and its ghosts. Uh, When are you going to give us back our ghosts from the Charles W. Morgan? Because it (laughs) it belongs here. It's from here originally.
3: (laughs) Well, you know what? I think that people at the seaport would gladly give it to you because they are taking a firm stance that there is no ghost on the Morgan anymore. So he must have left.
0: Oh, I I, I don't know about that. I think there's a cover-up going on.
3: I do too. I do too. I've heard rumors that he is there, but they are—they are firm that there are no ghosts in the seaport. They're apparently all wandering downtown with me instead. I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, I can see that. Maybe they want to go and take the tour. So how do you how do you handle that? How do you handle having a ghost on the tour that didn't pay? Well, we are yeah, dealing
1: you know, with it's sailors. It's like
3: having shortly. a haunted house with a roommate who doesn't pay the rent or mortgage. You just <laughs> right. learn to live.
0: They
1: <laughs> used to call those
0: girlfriends. Yeah. Well. Uh, it, don't call them that for too long if they're not uh, chipping in. So why don't we? Um, why don't we do this, Gordy? Why don't we have you come back on at some point uh, in the future? You know, when you're when you're not running a tour, and come on and share with us some of the stories and, and some of the ghosts that you talk about on your tours.
3: Oh, I would be happy to. And thanks for starting this topic. There's a lot of people, good people I know across the country who run amazing ghost tours. And this is a discussion that has been happening, you know, among the circles for a couple of years on on protecting their material and trying to get, you know, into the competition in an area where it may not have existed already. So bringing it to the forefront for discussion is really great. So thanks for doing that.
0: All right. Thank you. And you have a great night. You too. And, and uh, what, you know, just to mention for those who, who are listening that might not be familiar with what I was talking about with the Charles W. Morgan, it's a whaling ship that is now in the mystic seaport. It used to be, it's from new Bedford. Originally it was homeported in new Bedford originally it ended up being on the property at Round Hill in Payton Arum, which is part of Dartmouth, when uh, Colonel Green owned that mansion. So uh, the the what happened was Hetty Green, the witch of Wall Street, amassed this huge fortune in the 1800s uh, in the stock market. She was one of the few women yeah. investors at the time. And so she brought in, you know, she made herself a, a big fortune. When she passed away, her son Edward inherited it, and he called himself Colonel Green. He wasn't a colonel. He just kind of gave yeah. himself that, that title. And so he built the mansion at Round Hill. And they took the Charles W. Morgan, which the Green family owned at that point, and they, they basically parked it on the property at Round Hill where it fell into great disrepair. And eventually it was brought to Mystic where it was restored, and now they give tours on it and everything. And years ago there was a whole story about how it was haunted because the Rhode Island Paranormal Research Group, Triberg, they were doing events, uh, the, uh, investigations on the Morgan and they had encountered uh, the spirit and they were trying to track down in some of the ship's manifests who it might be that they were dealing with. Uh, but uh, I, I wrote an article for the Standard Times about it way back then called Give Us Back Our Ghost." Hmm. <laughs> because it was, you know, originally New Bedford's. But Round Hill, of course, is uh, the mansion that's over there. They've they've had a lot of strange things that have happened there over the years. Having the original Van de Graaff generators that are at, at uh, the Boston Museum of Science, they were originally there. They were conducting electromagnetic experiments there. They had the radio tower there. Yep. And so it was constantly drawing in UFO activity. Yep. And they still show up. Yep. <laughs> so they're still going to be showing up there. Uh, every um, no, no, no. yeah, mm. phone lines ringing. Yeah, phone lines ringing, and it's coming from the Las Vegas area code. <sighs> good evening, Lamone. How are
4: you? What's shaking, players? What's up? What's up, Moni? What's up, you Playboy? Just living and loving. So I've got I got a few good a few things to share with you. Okay, um, you remember the Arizona, the Phoenix flights, right? Back in '97. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a few nights ago outside i was taking a video and i've got a large craft like that come from area 51 not as huge as the phoenix lights but as 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 it started getting closer to us like getting like nearly almost overhead all the if you look at the video you can see the lights all the lights go out i mean the, the phone goes dead and everything like that and it went over and it's like um uh, you can, like, if you can see how light it was I've got that on my, on my, my YouTube channel it's the, the the newest video there it's less than a minute long and so if you guys want to watch that and, and I was thinking uh, if uh, April 8th if you guys come out here uh, Billy Idol is going to be doing a concert out here, a benefit concert for Hoover Dam and Lake Mead it's with the great money and stuff like that and there's going to be other acts that are going to be with him also so I'm thinking that'd be a great time for you two to come down here and we could have some fun before it's all dried up out here in, in the Vegas area.
1: Well, I'm going to be uh, in uh, Roswell in March. Okay,
4: that's close. Close. Wrong Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> l- l- still,
0: Listen, yeah. if you guys are that close, you got to make it happen where you get together.
4: Well, you must supposed be here a long while ago yourself too. People were doing a live, doing a, a live remote from here, but no, not with the black guy.
0: No, no, we 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 lost that we lost that show.
4: Well, you know, you know who's back at it though, don't you? Uh, she's she's got her own got the show again. No. Yes, yeah, she does. I, I heard her, I heard her like a Thursday, and so and it's like yeah, so she's back at it, and she was like tossing dirt, tossing salt. on like this she was saying to somebody like yeah i'm they want me back because I'm so dependable, they gave me a raise and everything they said, just get decide get get them back on and so and she was like so braggadocious about it yeah that, that must like,
0: have been that must have been a re- rerun because she hasn't had anything live in in over, almost two years but
4: I was just this Thursday, hmm. and I was just and i and I and I think she's still living at the house out there, um I guess she's uh She's a, she's a couple now with the the, uh, the mother there and the, and the daughters that are there now. So I think that's what's going on. And just throwing it out there, I was like, so I was like, geez, and she didn't say nothing about that beforehand about about not being dependable and stuff like that. She said, she says, I was, and give me a raise. It's nothing about a raise either, except when she did the thing the last time. And so when I wanted to, I was gonna call Michelle what so she had to say about it, but I didn't get a chance to call her. Well but I was
0: just, yeah I was going to say we're, we're taking a couple of weeks off from uh, from Midnight Society but I will uh, I will mention it to Michelle too as well and see me well, hey, hey, there's
4: more reason why jeez go ahead Maybe. I thought you I thought you said I was going to when you weren't working I'd be taking to doing the show well, for l- you while you weren't working
0: well, Lamone, I might just give you the show soon so
4: <laughs> I'll hold my breath I in mean my breath
0: All right yeah. I'm going gonna- <laughs> I'm going to hold you there just because we're getting a lot of feedback with your phone but uh thank you for the call and uh and oh we so quickly. Well, quickly well your phone is terrible tomorrow <laughs> I'm I'm just going to be watching TV is it why is there something happening tomorrow The Super Bowl I know I'm Bowl being facetious yeah, okay. Go Oilers as, as a as a Patriots fan I'm being facetious All right I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to just hold you there cuz we're getting a lot of a lot of noise there and a lot of feedback there from LaMone's phone but it was great hearing from Lamone in Las Vegas, uh, where they probably have multiple ghost tours as well. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, and I know they have Zach's Haunted Museum as well. Yeah. People people go out there, just they make pilgrimages out there just to go to that. You know, Lamone always talks with us about movies, Moniz. I, I want to ask you before um, before we go on, <clears throat> just a quick question. When was the last time you went to the movie theater?
1: Movie theater, last movie I saw in the theater was probably the last...
0: Jedi okay so I've been there a little bit more frequently I think that I saw the Batman um what was that last February so about a year ago was okay. the last time I went to the movies but uh I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna go soon the only place that has the movie I'm gonna go see is at Link- Lincoln Rhode Island so I gotta take a little bit of a ride but and I've already watched the movie at home but I want to see it on the big screen so you know me. I watch every horror movie that comes out. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say every, but I watch no, you know all the it, big horror it, movies. Yeah. And then sometimes I you know when I'm looking for something to watch at home, trying to relax, I just throw on the Shutter app, um, the streaming service yeah. Shutter. I just throw that on, and there's all kinds of great classic horror. There's Shutter originals, all kinds of stuff to check out. So I had heard and I had seen my friends posting about a movie that uh, it intrigued me. In the name of the movie, it's going to sound silly, but hear me out. It's called Skinamarink. What, huh so you know it's a it's a line a word from a children's song but it is appropriate for this movie this movie is I won't say that it scared me but it unnerved me like no movie I've ever seen before at pretty much right from the beginning I was yelling things at the TV I was um... Uh, Like they would say something and I'd be like, no, don't do that. Like it was, (laughs) it was really weird. And when I was done watching it, normally if I watch a movie like that, this was pretty late at night too. I watched it at like 11 o'clock at night. I started it and it was about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, But then I usually try to watch something funny before I go to bed. Okay. So, you know, just so it kind of clears yeah, my mind. Out. So, going. like, I watched maybe an episode or two of, like, Rick and Morty or something to, before I went to bed. It didn't matter. This creeped into my thoughts, kept me awake, and worked its way into my dreams. And I, I can't give away too much of the movie. If I talk too much about it, it will it will ruin the film. But it felt like it came directly out of my nightmares. So, let me just give you the tagline of this film. The, the kind of like, you know, the, the, the elevator pitch for it. The movie is about two young children. I think they were four and six or five and six. So two young children wake up in the middle of the night. They live with their father. Their father is gone. And all the outside doors and windows to their house have disappeared.
1: Like as an out of the frames and everything?
0: or Like they don't exist anymore. The kids can't leave. So they're trapped. They can't. There's no daylight coming into the house, so it's eternally night, no matter what. Uh, the only, the, and the way that the film, the way that the movie was shot, it takes place in 1995. The way that the movie was shot, it is grainy. It is very dark.
1: Well, if there's no windows and doors.
0: Uh, but it, not. Are, so, are we so, talking
1: dark in another mean?
0: No, no, dark in terms of like the visuals on the screen. Okay. So a lot of the light sources in the film will be like the nightlight in the hallway or the bathroom light coming on when they go into the bathroom or they have a TV that is playing old cartoons in the living room. Like these are the light sources that – and you know how that works. Anybody that has ever sat in the dark and watched television, especially when you were a kid – you would see the way that that light would throw yeah. shadows on the wall, yeah. and you know the, you would get those things that might be there but might not be there, and there's a lot of that in this film. So there's a lot of darkness that you're staring at that you're like, "What am I supposed to be seeing here right now?" And it and it's brilliant because and then a light flicker and you get a- well the, again. I don't want to ruin anything, but it's a it's a brilliant strategy to make the film. Like some people are like, "Oh, there's too many shots like that that go on forever." But it it keeps you so uneasy because you don't know, is there something that I'm supposed to be seeing or is there nothing there? And so you are basically in the position of the, what these children are feeling in this moment. And also the way that it's shot, you never see really the the people in the movie head on. Like you like most of the time when they show the kids, they show like their feet or like the side of them. Like you and, and, and when you're when they're showing the room, they don't show you the living room. They show you like a portion of the room in a really close up shot, or they'll show you like for the kitchen, the little bit of space that you can see between the two walls with the cabinets behind it. Like it's from a child's perspective of how big it is. And also it, and this is kind of what unnerved me about it from the very beginning. I had no idea what the layout was of this house. And that, made me so uneasy watching the film. I didn't know what room was what, how they connected. Like, so I couldn't be like, oh, down that hallway is the bathroom. And I don't know why it bothered me, but it bothered me. And I realized in the week since I've watched that film that I need that spatial awareness. Right. That I look at, I look at TV shows and movies and think about that spatial awareness without knowing that I'm thinking about it. So that's why, like, I recognize, like, I have this uncanny ability when I'm watching a sitcom to say, oh, that's the same set that they use for this, just a little bit reworked. And I think it's because I have that mindset of of needing to have the spatial awareness of it. And so when you don't have it, it makes it really unsettling. So, uh, like I said, a lot of people didn't like the movie because... It had a lot of those kind of shots. It's, it's more about atmosphere and feeling than it is about plot. Okay. And so that's going to kind of either hit or miss with some people. Um, I think it's one of the most innovative films I've ever seen. I think it's certainly the creepiest film that I've ever seen. Um, and it's also made me rethink the way that I've watched some other films as well. Um, for example, I was you know talking to somebody about this Jason Kent, who is our, our resident movie expert here at the station and I was telling him how I thought that I knew the Freeling house from Poltergeist because I've watched the movie so many times that if you gave me a piece of paper and said, draw the floor plan of the Freeling house, that I thought that I would be able to do it. But after watching it in 4K and seeing so much more depth, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's different than I thought that it was. And so I'm, I'm really hoping to dive back into this movie Marink again and really kind of watch it a couple of times. And um, I also want to go see it in the theater just to see what that theater experience is like for it. It might be a little bit difficult, and I'm glad that I watched it at home first. Because one thing that I will say about this film, if you're going to watch it, turn on closed captioning. Yeah. Because the way the sound design is of the movie, and this is intentional... Uh, because it's very much David Lynch in its, in its sound design. There are things that you're supposed to hear that you can't hear. Now, I watch everything with subtitles because I I can't hear what's on the TV anymore. They People whisper too much in shows, so I always keep the subtitles on. And so this is very beneficial because I wasn't hearing what was showing up on the screen as being said. And like you could even i would even recommend if you can watching the movie with headphones on okay because it it really is that like they will bury it in the mix which is intentional when you when you get into the plot and you understand what's going on uh you as somebody who is how can i put this pharmaceutically inclined okay when you watch certain things this is probably something that uh that would heighten the experience gotcha but also if you even get the slightest bit of paranoia when you are pharmaceutically Watching. inclined, I probably would avoid it for the first time. I'd watch it once without it and then maybe watch it a second time uh, with it and see see how you feel about it. But it is I can't recommend it enough. If you have seen it, uh, let me know what you think. Send me an email, tim at If you hated it, if you loved it, if you were indifferent toward it, I don't. I don't know anybody that's been indifferent toward it. People have had strong feelings one way or the other. It's called Skidamarink. You can watch it for, you know, include it with your Shutter subscription if you have that. If you don't have it, you can get a free trial for, I think it's a week or a month. Um, but I have it. It's like five dollars a month, and I watch it all the time.
1: I actually think I have it in my cable.
0: It it it's it's worth. If you don't have it already, it's worth doing. And if you have AMC Plus, which a lot of people do. Um, because they would get it to like watch the walking dead early or whatever. So if you have AMC plus, I think it's tied into that too. So um, I would recommend it. It's uh, it it's, it's it, like I said, it, it unnerved me because it felt like my nightmares. Okay. I, I've had many nightmares where I wake up where, uh, it, well, well, let me just give you kind of an overview of what the dream is that I have. I always have dreams where I'm in a place that is like my house, but it's, it's not. It's familiar, but it's not. It's no house I've ever lived yeah, in. Yeah, Sometimes in the dream, it's like it is a house that I've lived in, but it's not the way that it looked.
1: Right. No, I get where you're going. There's people that have these dreams all the time.
0: Right. And that's why I think that this works. So the director of the film and the writer, he what he used to do is he had a YouTube channel where he would have people send in their nightmares And he would make visual recreations of them and put them up on his YouTube channel. And he said that as he started collecting all those stories, he realized that there were a lot of themes running through it and uh, through the answers he was getting and the responses. And one of those themes was this idea of the house where things aren't right. And so that's where he extrapolated the story from. And so I had those dreams. And in those dreams, more often than not, there's always the one part of the house that you don't go into. And that kind of, without that being said directly in this film, I got that sense.
1: Like, don't go into the attic. Don't go into the basement. Those
0: kind of things. So there's actually one recurring dream, well, one recurring place that might show up in my dreams where it is the attic. Yeah. And okay. it's 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 like you go to the back of the actual attic, and then there's another door where there's like a big like auditorium-sized room. And actually, in some of my dreams, we have run paranormal events in those rooms. Um, But then, you know, things go south and you don't want to go back in there. Uh, Other times, uh, there's a large basement in the home that I'm living in. And there will be this area, you know how they have like those chicken wire cages in some basements? Where like you can use for storage or stuff, especially like if it's an apartment building, everybody oh, have like okay. the own section. Right. There's like one of those in the middle. You don't open the the chicken wire gate, you know. Like there's always that kind of sense in the house, and so those ideas, which you know as you were saying, is is kind of universal for a lot of people. Those senses will come to you as you are watching this film. So uh, it it might not be for everybody if some of those experience, some of those dreams that you have relate to trauma. And some folks have looked at this film and said that it is an allegory for. Abuse. Okay. So if you are somebody who might get triggered by some of that, you know, keep that in in the back of your mind and because it is two young children who are going through this alone in this film. And so for some people that's, you know, some some people can't stand to see children put into a dangerous position like that. And to some people, it might kind of bring up some of their own experiences um, that they might not want to be addressing. So check it out again. It's called Skinamarink. if you want to check it out. So going back to the idea, by the way, this 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 is guy that's been going after me all week long on Twitter uh, who just tweeted to me, you're an insult to the world of the paranormal. And this is because uh, he originally got into an argument with Amy Bruni uh, because he said that... Um, How does that tie to you? Because I chimed in. Oh, well. But he was basically saying that... Uh, They don't, he wanted to know originally why they don't investigate apartments on those TV shows. I think it was the same guy.
1: I'd have to go back through the whole thread. Well, that would be because of logistics.
0: Right. And, and, and because you can't, there's too much noise that you can't. Right control because the people upstairs, downstairs, next to you, they're going to make noise. Even if the house that you're investigating is quiet, you don't, you don't have cameras in there.
1: Well, you also have, like I said, the legality of
0: it. And that's the bigger part. It's owned by somebody the else, reason. not the people that called you in. Right. So it's harder to get permission to do it. And also- And you would have,
1: in an apartment building, you would also have to get permission from all the other people in the various <laughs> apartments.
0: Well, no, not if they weren't going to be on camera, but you would not know- what was going on in those apartments. So like, if you think yeah. about it, All right. we, yeah. we did, we did a te- television show in an apartment building and it was one of the worst experiences we've ever had.
1: Oh, you're talking the, uh, Albert DeSalvo. Though? Yeah.
0: We were on the show yeah. conversations with a serial, serial killer, killer. killer Yeah, and this apartment, which was actually, you know, related to Boston university. They were like, Oh, this was the apartment building where one of the victims lived. Okay, but was it the apartment the victim in, lived? No, no. We can't get into the apartment. We're, we're not sure where the apartment is, but this, this is the one we can get into. And so we're just in the building of where this this victim lived, and we're talking to Albert DeSalvo, who is not even proven to be the, the Boston Strangler. He's the person who was convicted, correct? Right. But he, it has never actually been proven that he was the Boston Strangler, uh, and there is doubt that that is the case. And we you know we're trying to communicate with him. By the way, you know a little. Pat on the back, first time anybody ever used a ghost box on a TV show. Mm-hmm. And this was not an ideal situation. It is like five o'clock in the afternoon. Outside of
1: Fenway Park. On the day and of a game. Day. Uh
0: all kinds of traffic. In, a, in an apartment building there's all people that go to BU. So like it really was noise pollution. It was and we're like, we're trying to like make it dark in there so that we Indeed. can film. By putting like stuff over the windows, like it just wasn't great. It wasn't a great experience, so I couldn't imagine. Not and
1: to th- mention the size of the apartment was like sh- shoebox.
0: And and this was just a, a, a this was to get like less than ten minutes worth of footage for an hour long episode. You know, the the episode involved them kind of going to different places and following along with the story. This was just one part of it, uh, but this was such a, a a pain in the ass to get done. For that 10 minutes, I can't imagine somebody trying to go in there and do a 44 minute episode oh in an apartment with all of those types of challenges. So, but anyway, this getting this, back, this person has just been going after me. Um, because you know, I, I said, Well, you know, kind of who are you to come after people when you've had an account since November and you've just posted a bunch of shoddy evidence of orbs and things like that, but you want to go after people on TV because you, when you tweet them you think you're going to get followers out of it and so he you know went after me Mm. but anyway that's fine i don't care
1: uh yes
0: this is the kind of guy that will start his own ghost tour and then steal it from somebody else i bet so and speaking of that we will continue on with this conversation in the future Uh, We are going to have, we had one Courtney on tonight, but we will have the other Courtney on from Providence Ghost Tour at some point because uh, she is just unavailable tonight, but she does want to talk about this situation. And again, a reminder that she did uh, refute the report in that WJAR story that the tour guide from U.S. Ghost Adventures encountered the the other tour. And the other tour guide was kind of mean mugging him for taking some photos during that and uh, that they had some kind of interaction. She refutes that that even happened. She talked to her tour guides and she says that uh, that, that didn't happen. So, I, you know, take that for what it is. I'm just giving you her her, her statement on that. Um, but we'll talk with her more about that. We were going to have somebody call in from U.S. Ghost Adventures, but we're just about out of time. So, I don't know if they decided not to call in or if they were busy, maybe they got a call and they had to do it. They got a reservation. They had to do a tour. I don't know. I mean, I I don't think we were attacking anybody. I think we've been pretty fair in the discussion.
1: No, I don't recall any uh, accusations. I
0: I did have questions that I was going to ask questions such as why did you decide to start a Providence tour? Uh, What are some of the things people can expect on the Providence tour? You know, these are just generic questions, questions that when you're trying to find out, what it's all about, you would ask, you know, if I was writing a story like RJ Heim did, I would ask the same questions. Why did you choose Providence? Uh, you know, what stories do you share on there? How did you come up with the stories that you want to yep. tell on the tour? And you know, just things of that nature. And then I probably would have also asked, like, what do you know about this situation that they are refuting happened? You know, be fair. I will tell you in full disclosure that I um, I would have said to the person, if it wasn't this particular tour guy that called in, I would have said to them right out of the gate, you probably don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, because I wouldn't expect somebody else to have known what his personal experience was. So I don't know why they they didn't want to call in. I must must have just been as uh, they were busy. Yeah. I can't imagine they're ducking us in any way.
1: Why would they? You
0: no, know? uh, We did, I mean, I did originally pitch it as it would be we would have both on at the same time because that's what I wanted to have happen. So when I emailed each of them, I said, we would like to have you both on at the same time. Uh, but so, some people want that. Some people don't want that. And when we, when we set it up for the Plymouth tour talk years ago, that was a very hard sell because they were telling me like, we can't but be they in the came same in, room.
1: They came in and well, tone came in and did it.
0: No, they didn't. I mean, somebody nah. came in from all three and, right. uh, and and they did a fine job of getting along and they actually left here w- getting along better than they did before. So there was that. And so I just, you know, well, listen, we just foster the discussions here. Yep. We're, we're, we're not here to say one's right and one's wrong. We're here to foster the discussions. But I will say this to anybody that's thinking about starting a ghost tour, you know, do it for the right reasons. Do it for what we've been talking about because you love the history, because you love the paranormal, because you are knowledgeable or want to become knowledgeable about that area. Don't just do it because you think that it would be a good moneymaker for you. Because first of all, it probably won't be. (laughs) I mean, the overhead's probably pretty low, but at the same time, you know, it's especially if you're starting in a city that already has a ghost tour, how are you going to differentiate yourself to get people to sign up for you when the other one's been more established? Now, U.S. Ghost Adventures has this large platform because they have nationwide tours. So it's easy for them to cross promote and to get people that are interested. So obviously if you've got people that are coming to stay at the Lizzie Borden house, which they apparently don't have problems getting people yeah. to come and stay there, then this is going to be something that you offer those folks as, as an add on. So you'll always be able to bring people out to Providence. It might be a little bit harder if you know, if you say we're going to, part of a tour out in Gardner, Massachusetts, or we're going to do a ghost tour in Winchendon, Massachusetts. It's going to be a little bit harder because it's not a 15 minute drive from where people are already coming uh, to one of your locations. So, but also the local people are, are a key aspect. So the problem is, and, and again, this is no slight toward the folks that work over there at the Lizzie Borden house. I'm just going to use that as an example. If you are coming in as the owner, new owner of that, and you're hiring people to come and take part in the tour and, and lead the tours, you want to hire people like a Phil Devitt, who works here with me, who was on Conan O'Brien's podcast talking about Lizzie Borden because he knows about it because he's interested in it. He grew up in Westport. He lives in that area. He knows yep. all about this. It's been his his whole you know life talking about it. So you want to have people like that that are, that have the passion as opposed to people that are just like, I think it'd be really cool to work in a haunted house, hand me the script and I'll just read it. You know, I I think that that would be the wrong approach. I'm not saying that that's what they did. I'm just saying, you know, looking at it um, from a 30,000 foot view, that's the way that you'd want it to be. Actually, I should say a hundred thousand feet so I can get up above the spy balloons now. Yeah. But the, um, the other part of it is, do need some people that are public speakers too and as you and i both know not everybody that does this the paranormal side of things is good at public speaking so (laughs) you got to find that good balance with somebody of of being able to handle both that's why i look at somebody like andrew lake who is a very good natural tour guide like he he will just tell you things without even realizing that he's giving you a tour of something so i'm so glad that he actually put together those formal tours yes because, uh, you know, base, basically he was a de facto tour guide for Rhode Island anyway. And uh, and literally literally wrote the book on ghost hunting in southern New England. Yeah. So uh, he he's the perfect example of somebody who is is built for it. And I w- was visiting with him uh, last Saturday,
1: and he says he would love to come back on.
0: We would love to have him. Uh, and uh, I actually was going to call him last week to see if he wanted to come in, and I'm glad I didn't because we ended up canceling the show. Yeah. <laughs> So we are just about out of time for this week, but if you are a tour company or a tour guide, or if you know somebody, reach out to me and uh, let's see. You know, send me an email, Tim at spooky dot and let's let's build a little network up of it, so we can um, we can kind of build that together. And, uh, and, and get that word out and just tell people where they can go and check things out because people always have to travel to places and they say, when I go there, I want to go and take a ghost tour. Do you know any ghost tours in this area? And I always just have to Google it, which surprises me because I would think people could just do that on their own, but maybe we can build up a little network of it. I know there are networks that exist out there already, uh, of finding those good local people that are putting these on. If you missed any portion of this show, you will be able to hear it all in podcast form. Our podcasts are uploaded through Anchor, and they're released on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music, Stitcher, everywhere that you can get podcasts from. You should be able to find Spooky South Coast. If you have any trouble finding it or if you had a subscription to that podcast and it's not showing up, let me know because we did move things over uh, a few months ago. So we are trying to make sure that everybody can still find it and get the program. So if you have any problems, let me know. Every episode we've ever done, all 600 and something of them, they are all available for you to download and to check out. I hope that uh, you do go back through and listen to some of those older episodes. You can go back and listen to that one we did about the Plymouth tours because uh, it, it really was you know, fascinating, and it really did kind of change the way that they were able to get along. So that's what we like to do here, and we'll do it again next week. Until then, I hope that everybody out there has a great night, a great weekend. Stay spooktacular.